one part of me would like to go to the Brownlow, but then another part of me is like, this is a lot of effort. I think you'd be really disappointed with it. I think it's one of those things you'd get really excited to get a call up and then you'd get there and you'd be like, oh, is this it? Well, like as a male, it's kind of hard to get the call up as well. You pretty much have to be press. Yeah. Or have or a mate a who's a player <laughs> who likes you enough to take you instead of one of his teammates. Yeah. I did like the, the dusty trend of taking Sam Lloyd. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah. I kind of almost wanted there to be like a male... This is going to go down really poorly. Um, like a male power revolt where they all just took teammates. So instead of taking five teammates, they ended up with ten people. Like, so they just didn't take partners. Could you imagine if the like the players revolted to do that at every club? So rather than taking women as dates, they just took each other. And then it, the, like, I don't know what that would do to the dynamics. Like, it would totally fuck Channel 7. It would. Which would kind of be funny. Well, they'd lose half an hour worth of content. <laughs> like, they would, they would be so pissed off. They'd be like, could you imagine? There'd be a memo. Like, sorry, but <laughs> you, you now have to, your date has to be a female. Just like, so there used to be a massive hoo-ha about school formals where people, like, obviously would want to take a mate. Mm. And they weren't allowed to because obviously there was a whole lot of, stereotypes around about same-sex couples at the time which is yeah and heteronormative Mm. couples and some schools were not down with it so that would be a really interesting little Mm. moment for the afl i want that player revolt to happen yes bros before hoes i don't like that we're referring to women as hoes here i knew Um. i know (laughs) figure of speech i don't need anything but also perhaps maybe the same could be for the AFLW players who get invited. Maybe they can just bring their female teammates along too. So then it's just all players. So then you have all female players and all male players and there's no partners of anyone. I'm really going to have to look into this. I'm kind of intrigued <laughs> about how to get a get an invite, to be honest. We've got to make some friends with better people because we're not really helping each other out in this scenario. We need to move on and find some cooler people to hang out and with. And we have hung out a lot in the past three days. We've hung out a lot, Jack. It's a lot. Always know what's cooking, how the game was lost and how it could have been won. And when Monday comes around, everyone's an expert in my town. Monday's experts. Anyway, on that note, um, we're going to get rid of our Brownlow red carpet chatter. We are here to record a very serious podcast about football and all things football. Um, this is the grand final slash Brownlow medal edition of the People's Game. Casey is obviously over the moon because West Coast are in the grand final. In case you haven't heard, um, I've just come away from sobbing in my bed where I've been for the last three days because Richmond are done, 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 done. Casey, we'll probably start with Friday night. So you were there. I wasn't there. I was at the London Tavern. How did this go down at the ground? Uh, it was pretty surprising. I think that's probably something you would say about both of the preliminary finals this weekend. But Friday night, just seeing Collingwood come out of the gates like that really did surprise me. And being in that atmosphere where it was sold-out game, um, almost 95,000 fans there, all you could hear was the Collingwood chant running through the stadium from after quarter time. They were up and about early and I sort of thought, oh, you're calling it all early, guys, like calm down. But as soon as they started chanting USA, USA, when Mason Cox just went on a spree, um, I felt very intimidated in that venue, I'm not going to lie. But um, I was thinking about leaving early, but no, I stuck around. Um, yeah, what happened, Jack? Well, so Friday night, yeah, I mean, it was – Kind of over before it even began. And I think the thing that stood out for me was just how clean Collingwood were with the ball. Um, 
in that first 10 or 15 minutes. And then I think someone sent a message on our group chat about, what, 10 minutes into the second quarter and just mm-hmm. it's over. And that was, I think, just after Mason Cox had kicked his, kicked his third goal in 10 minutes. And yeah. it was probably at that point that I went, I think we're, I think we might be buggered here and started to sort of give up hope. And at that point, the atmosphere in the MCG was probably going mental. It was mental. Um, it just felt like Richmond couldn't do anything. Um, they were stopped at every opportunity. And it was just a really weird game to watch after having watched a lot of Richmond games this year, particularly at that venue where they were just so dominant. And obviously, you know, Dusty was under a bit of that injury cloud and didn't have much of an impact on the game. And was it Asprey was out? It was sick. Uh, Asprey played, but he was a little bit under the weather. Under the weather, um, yeah. I think he did go to hospital. With a cold. So he actually did go to hospital. Uh, from what I've heard. Don't, right. Don't quote me on that. Okay. But he, um, he had more than a cold. Yeah. He had, it was clearly contagious because he got sent home. Yeah, right. Um, so so the, they probably, they had Garthwaite on standby. They didn't use him. I think Dusty was always going to play. And people have sort of taken this up in the post, but I think a 70% Dusty is still probably better than the replacement. I mean, he still did yeah, have, I think he had 19. He was obviously fairly ineffective and Collingwood managed yeah. him really well. So when he went forward, he was matched up with a key defender. Yeah. Greenwood followed him really hard when he was in the mid. And what it sort of all equated to was, well, particularly in that first half, and I haven't actually looked up the difference in the numbers from the first half to the second half because Richmond won the second half by, I think, 10 points. Mm-hmm. And they were in a position sort of early in the fourth quarter to mount a mini comeback. Collingwood obviously stalled that, but it was 259 uncontested possessions to 198, which was a massive difference of 61. That was obviously Collingwood's way. So their ability to get the ball to the outside of stoppage was was lethal. And when they did that and they got the ball into the hand of Sidebottom, who had 41, if you don't mind, um, they were just really, really hard to stop with ball in hand. So mm-hmm. they had more of it. They used it better. So they went at 75% disposal efficiency against 66%. Um, and I think the thing that probably stood out and you would have noticed at the ground was they pretty much found the weaknesses that Richmond had. So Grundy uh, very noticeably spiked the ball away yeah. from stoppages when they played the second ruck in there, which mm-hmm. was you know the very undersized Sean Grigg. Um, and ultimately, I think sometimes it's actually, you can al- analyze it as much as you want, but a lot of blokes, probably six or seven from Collingwood had you know, like huge games and then on the flip side of that, Richmond's good players, other than Cochin and Rewalt, just didn't fire. And ultimately, when that happens, the result was only going to go one way. Yeah, and it's interesting because I think you're right. Like, I think Collingwood, everything just went right for them that night. I think they just had one of those nights where everything was on. Um, some of the things that they were able to do, just like even little soccer kicks off the ground to each other, just happened to fall their way every time. So I think mm. they just had the momentum. They just had, I don't know, the footy gods on their side. I'm just really hoping that they play their grand final <laughs> on Friday night. So Is that – I feel like that's my least favourite saying from yeah. this time of year. They've already played their grand final and I'm just like – but that's, I don't that's like not, it either, but, but in my not, case, That's I not how the system true. works. Like, <laughs> when does the system work though? <laughs> well, Richmond's system was broken on Friday night yeah. and I think, I think Nathan Buckley had a really good night in the coach's box. I think for mm. Richmond long-term – um, ironically, I was listening to Robert Walls just before an AFL tonight saying that, oh, it's really, it was really noticeable that Richmond didn't have a second key forward. There was a few people that tweeted quite sheepishly at three quarter time, whether they could bring Tom Lynch on, um, <laughs> Substitute rule. Despite, still effect. <laughs> he is still injured, but I think Richmond will plug that hole. And I think, I think this will probably catalyze a little bit of necessary change, but I think a lot of those really successful teams, 
over the last 10 or 15 years, Brisbane, Geelong, um, St Kilda as well, who, who had that unbelievable year where they, I can't remember whether it was nine or 10, where they, I think they lost two games and then mm. lost the grand final. I'm not sure I can't think which year it was, but yeah. most of those teams have, have rebounded um, and been consistent forces. St Kilda's probably the exception. So yeah. I, I find it hard to see Richmond going backwards, but I think it does stand out for me having watched them this year that teams have gotten hold of them a couple of times. So Adelaide beat them by 36 points in Adelaide early in the year. The Eagles beat them by 47. Um, Collingwood knocked them off by 39. So when teams have been able to break that system, and even if you go back further to St Kilda beating them up by 80 points, and the Crows early in 17 whacked them by 75 points, yeah. when that system breaks down, it tends to break relatively badly. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether there's a lot in that, but I think that... Mm. Um, it is interesting that the Eagles were able to beat them in a similar manner um, by a lot. And yeah. they've fallen short in a couple of those games. And they don't change their game plan, do they, when that happens? They keep just sticking to it and just trying to make it work. Yeah, and I think the thing that stood out with Collingwood and Gordo messaged us at the time and said that we were being beaten by a mutant, <laughs> um, which was actually true because Collingwood played a similar way to Richmond. They were just better at it on yeah. the night. Um, I think their evolution as a team, and this is obviously they've still got a grand final to play, but where they go next year will be really interesting. Mm. But I'm also, I think they did a lot of things well and I think they potentially put in a performance that will be really difficult to replicate. I think that so much stuff they did was just at peak level. Yeah. Um, So it'll be really interesting for this weekend. I will sort of get on to grand final tips later. I think it is interesting though that the winner of the Collingwood-Melbourne Grand final, sorry, Collingwood West Coast Grand Final. Have to play Richmond the week after when we challenge via the Argus system, um, <laughs> which is actually a Kevin Bartlett stolen joke. So the the old final system used to allow, and this is why it's called a grand final rather than a final, um, used to allow the minor premier to challenge the the person that won the major premiership in the finals in the grand final, and that's why it's called a grand final. Obviously, doesn't exist with the current top eight, which is a pain in the ass because if it did. You know, you'd be winning this week and then we'd have another grand final and it would be against Richmond. But alas, such such is life. Uh, and, yeah, I'm okay. Um, I sort of wrote wrote about this for The Guardian on Friday, which was a, a little bit of a silver lining. And I also went today and bought um, the George Megalogenis book finally called The Football Solution. So I will um, sort of, you know, manage to deal with this and I'll watch the 1980 grand final. And I actually still haven't sat through the full 17 17- grand final replay so i might do that this weekend at what time is the grand final 2 30 yeah yeah i might just turn off all communications and go back in time one year um and i'll probably be a lot happier for it i'm starting to feel a bit guilty about how sad you are because i've just been so happy the last few days i'm not actually that sad like so i'm (laughs) sad because like this week last year was awesome and it's Mm. not awesome this year but like by the same token I'd be more annoyed if last year didn't happen and we were still chasing and we'd fallen short last year and it was like, yeah. oh, no, this is our year. And then I was like, oh, no, it's not. Yeah. Um, I know, like, yeah, it's not, like, fun, but it's also, like, it is kind of just footy at the end of the day. So, like, obviously, yeah, I'm kind of not too That's something only off. someone who's lost a preliminary final will say it's only footy. Well, not only footy. <laughs> some of us have to rationalise what's going on and make everything okay. But, yeah, I mean, like, I also think that the the post-mortem for this will be pretty quick until sort of round one next year and when we play Collingwood and I can't wait to play Collingwood again. Yeah, absolutely. Like I think like you said, like there's nothing really wrong with how you go about your football. Richmond are going to be fine. This was just a bad night at the office. 
which unfortunately happened at the preliminary final. Yeah, and I was sort of surprised that people were so surprised by this. Like, so I, I know that it's a boil over, but like the uh, the way that our season and our system is structured is that the best team across the home and away season inevitably generally does not win the flag mm-hmm. purely because it's the team that comes into the best format the the right, right time on. that usually yeah. wins it. And so I'm so everyone's I know it was a big boil over and I know Richmond had a very successful home and away season, but I felt it was a little bit overplayed because it was one V three. So by that token, if Richmond were a little bit off or like in, in, as it turned out, I think they were a lot off, but even a little bit off, they lose that game. The yeah. team that they were playing against was good enough to do that to them. Um, and the results against Collingwood the first two times probably flattered Richmond in terms of the margins mm. a little bit, which were I think 25 and 49. And I think that was generous because those games were alive until the last quarter. Yeah. Um, so there was a sense, I think, in the Collingwood camp, and I'll talk about this in our grand final preview. I think they they had a very big confidence in their ability to beat Richmond. I think they'll feel the same about West Coast, hmm. which will use that as a little segue <laughs> into the Melbourne game. We watched this uh, at, where did we watch it? Melbourne Public? Melbourne Public in Southwark. Really interesting vibe. Yeah. But um, this was almost over before it started, somewhat like the first Friday night game or the Friday night game itself. Yeah. Um, what a bizarre game. Um, I was trying to think about this today because I was thinking about maybe writing something about it and I was just like, I don't even know how to analyse a game like that because there's nothing you can do to analyse a game where you've kept mm. a slide goalless at halftime in the preliminary final. Which hasn't happened in, what, 19, 90 years yeah, or something? 1927 or it something? It was a lot, like far too long for comfort. Far too long. Um, it's just astounding. Um, I was... Like really, I was pretty nervous leading up to that game because I think a lot of people got in my head about Melbourne's momentum and that they'd already beaten us in Perth not um, too long ago. So mm. I was, I mean, I'm a very arrogant, confident West Coast <laughs> supporter. We've noticed. Um, <laughs> just in case you hadn't picked that up. But so I was sort of spooking around all week that we had this in the bag, but I was silently a bit nervous. Um, so those first couple goals, I was really up and about, and I was like, "Yes, we've started well. If we can maintain this, if we can maintain this, this will be will be fine." And then what happened next was just, I was shocked. I was in shock. I think the damn wall busted at like maybe the five minute mark of the yeah. first quarter because I remember <laughs> like I reckon after half time I barely watched like because there was just like it was it was fickle. Yeah. Like, um, Melbourne, and I think that. I had a sense, and I've said this, because of the way the finals draw works out, West Coast, in theory, had the easier prelim. Like, you were playing a team that didn't make the top four in the regular season. So, they finished fifth. I know they beat you over there, but they beat you over there on a night that really had no great significance for you. I think you were always assured of your spot. So, Mm -hmm. I wasn't surprised by this result at all. I was maybe surprised that Melbourne didn't offer... Like, I know even, like, I guess with Richmond, they did offer some sort of fight back at some point. Yeah. Like, there was a minute chance at the the start of the fourth quarter they could win. They Mm. kicked four in a row. Yeah. But Melbourne just, there was nothing. Nothing. Um, I'm not surprised we won, but I'm definitely surprised by how we won. What was the end margin? Um, I forget. It was just 55. It was just a lot. Like, it was a point where it looked like it could genuinely be 200, like 150 points. Yeah, I think going that badly. Kind of like let up, like took the uh, foot off the pedal towards the end a little bit, but not there was much. A, yeah, there was a few <laughs> contests shirt late, yeah. late in the game. I know they mentioned that on the call. And we had, I think, two goals taken off of us, <laughs> um, so we could have beat them by more. Um, that were reversals, but you know, not no, no percentage in finals. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Melbourne, 
fans. So it was. I mean, I'm a bit obviously for West Coast. It was a frighteningly good performance. Um, yeah, I thought. But I think for Melbourne, like this year for me, for them is still an overwhelming tick. Like I can't find any negatives. I know that they got beaten and they got well beaten on the night. Yeah, but it was second versus fifth. They got beaten by a superior team. I think when you took the emotional story out of it and just sort of analysed the game, and I know Gordo was quite big on this, like I found it quite difficult to see them winning, like just logical brain. Yeah. West Coast had been so much superior to them mm-hmm. across the course of the season. West Coast had a really tough first final um, yes, against a very good Collingwood team. Yes. And we'll sort of get to that game. So, yeah, I mean, but for me, like Melbourne have won two finals. They won mm-hmm. two. They beat... They beat a team above them, so they got further than their seeding dictated that they should have. Yep. Um, and they knocked off two teams that they didn't beat in the regular season. They got pantsed by Hawthorne when they played them early on, and they lost to Geelong twice. Mm. Um, so I find it hard to be too negative. I think if you're a Melbourne fan up until that point, you've got to be happy with the season, like you said. I think it's just such a shame that they lost in that way. Um, if mm-hmm. they'd still lost, maybe the margin was a bit closer and you saw them put up a bit of a fight, then you would have been, yep, really happy with that season. But, oh, that game's got a sting for Melbourne fans, surely. <laughs> yeah, and I don't necessarily believe that, like, your upward surge, and I think Collingwood and Richmond and the Bulldogs have shown this, it's like it's not a case of, like, like oh, we finished ninth and then we make the eight and then the next year we win a final. and then Like, you don't move in a nice, even plane. Yeah. It doesn't happen like that. But no. I do think it started to change the narrative around Melbourne. So that they're now not like they'll go into next year, and people will have ex- people had expectation of them this year, and I think they lived up to them. Yep. Um, so. There'll be scrutiny to make the next step, but I can't really see a lot of negatives in the long run. I think they're going to be a pretty good team for a while with their age demographic, etc. Yeah. I would expect them to be up there for a while, um, which is like interesting when you look at both like West Coast and Melbourne. West Coast were the ones who were written off at the start of the season to not do anything this year and now they're in the grand final and then Melbourne did have the expectation on them. So they have done well. Um, but yeah, no, I'm just going to talk about West Coast more. <laughs> Well, we're going to jump straight into the, the grand final preview um, off the back of that chat. So I think one of the things that stands out for me, and this has been touted a lot in the last two days, is that you obviously remember 2015 quite quite fondly. Not fondly, rather, sorry. Not fondly <laughs> I remember, at all. I remember it fondly. There's still 11, West, 11 or 12 West Coast players from that team that are in this yeah, team. Yeah, 12. Which makes me sort of wonder, like, what, what happened for three years to you? I know two, so two of those were, so 16, so 15 was grand final, yeah. 16 was elimination, elimination final to the dogs, the yeah. got pasted. At home. Then oh, last year you had the the extra time and then Against got well court. beaten by the Giants yeah. in the semis. So mm-hmm. what what has changed this year that's taken you back to form like uh, 2015? Because if you look at grand finals 2015, you've then probably had two years where it kind of looks now like you've underperformed. Mm. I don't know. So uh, what's what's the difference? I think it's maturity in our midfield. I think we always had the components there, but mm-hmm. they've just matured into playing a really great um, game plan that Simo always had laid out, but now they know how to work it. Like you look, I mean, unfortunately he won't be there on the weekend, but you look at a player like Gaff who has just matured so much in the last couple of years. And yes, it's 
I think you think it's funny that he's not going to be there. But um, I mean, I find it very hard to defend criminals. <laughs> but I just... I'm not defending. I'm not defending him. Um, I'm just saying it's unfortunate he won't be there. But I think he is a big part of oh. um, our success this year. Players like him, like Elliot Yo, um, just sort of really developing that speed and that sort of pace game that we play now. So I think that was always. We always had those components over the last couple of years, but we didn't really switch them on until this year. I think everything's just sort of fallen into place now. And then, I mean, we've got these players now like Willie Rioli and Liam Ryan who have come into the side that are just absolute just machines um, who are so exciting to watch and sort of really slotted into that game plan where we play these small forwards who can just run and pick up a loose ball and kick goals. So I think that's kind of another component as well. So I think we've sort of been building, building, and now this is the year that hopefully we can capitalise on that. Um, but I also think that we should be a pretty dominant side for a long time. <laughs> There's a couple of stats that I'll throw up, and we'll get to Collingwood in a minute. So the first one is that every team that's drafted Rioli has won a premiership within 18 months. <laughs> so that's a good stat for Definitely West Coast. Stat. The other one is that every time the grand final has been a repeat of the qualifying final under the modern mm. final eight, the team that lost the qualifying oh. final has won. Now... I think that the the demographic or dynamic of this contest swings on the venue. And I know there's a, I'm not going to enter into debates about grand final venue because it's a slippery slope and I'll slide off into a good end. <laughs> um, but are you are you worried about Collingwood? I mean, definitely worried about Collingwood after watching them Friday night. Um, based on how we played against them in that first week of finals, I would say... I was still expected to win that game. And I think even though it was a thriller and it was close and it was very nerve-wracking, I was still confident all the way through that we could do it. So based on that game, the idea of facing them in the grand final, I'd be confident. Friday night has made me question that a little bit. But then also I think the conversation that we have about stadiums um, for the grand final this year has been really interesting because I think a lot of people still have this idea that West Coast can't play in Victoria, which – they're actually undefeated in Victoria this year. They've won twice at the MCG and twice at Eddie Had. And huge, yes, huge sample size. <laughs> well, it's all we have got. Um, but I think a lot of that has to do with Optus Stadium because the specs of Optus Stadium now are the exact same as yep. the MCG. So I think the venue's irrelevant. Um, I don't think the crowds are heavily influential on grand final days, mostly because they're not full of Mm. you know, your footy fans as they are during mm. the final series. A lot of corporates there and fan base will be pretty much 50-50 inside the venue anyway. You see, I don't think that matters, but I do think that the crowd at Optus makes a difference. It's very hard to measure whether that difference is 10 points. But my mm. my feeling about that qualifying final is that like the games that Collingwood played against Richmond, they will walk out empowered by that game. Because I think they felt like it was a missed opportunity. They felt like they yeah. could have won and there was no consequence for not winning. So I think that they are dangerous and they were in a position where they should have won that game. They mm-hmm. should have been good enough to finish it off. But, and I say this, Trelaw had a stinker straight yeah. up. Goldsack was first game back, played really well. Yeah. Um, there was one other. Cox wasn't irrelevant. Cox didn't play game. well and, God, if he's good enough to take eight. If he plays well, you won't win. Um <laughs> We can shut him down. Well, and so I think there's a lot of – it'll be – what I'm kind of saying is that it's really down to the individual performances. But that first game actually worked, I think, even though Collingwood lost in their favour because they gained so much confidence from that performance. Yeah. And they will go in 100% believing that they're capable. 
against a team that they've lost twice to now. So they've lost home and away to West Coast. They lost home and away to Richmond, albeit twice at the MCG. Um, I think they will go in feeling like they can beat That's you. the kind of stuff I'm more afraid of than any sort of like stat or any sort of matchup because I think that kind of narrative-driven stuff in finals is the danger factor because finals footy is just so different. So those kind of stories really do terrify me. Whereas, like, if you told me, like, you know, matchups and who's going to play on who, like, I don't care. I think we can beat anyone on any part of the ground. But that internal drive is just so hard to predict and so hard to measure. Um, I'm a bit scared about that. But I'm just hoping the opposite is then true for West Coast, who will look at that and be like, we've beaten them already this year twice. We've, we are going to own them, and I hope they just bring that to them on Saturday afternoon. I think Richmond would have felt that. That's that's why I mean it's very easy to talk this about this and all that emotion, but at, at the end of the day, it's really just going to come down to who is cleaner on the day and who's better with the ball in hand. Yeah, um, and things like whether Mason Cox can actually perform. Like um, the thing that does stand out about his performance last weekend is if he jumps properly at the ball and they deliver it properly, and there isn't a lot of midfield pressure on the ball, no one can get near him yeah. when he jumps. He's so tall; he's two hundred eleven centimeters, so he's probably got fifteen centimeters on most key defenders anyway. Yeah, and then you put him jumping like so. He's he's sixteen centimeters taller than Toby. No, Toby Nankervis, I think is one ninety nine. So he's got twelve centimeters on Toby Nankervis, who's a key, so who's a ruck. Like yeah. so, when you put that into perspective, you're looking at key forwards and key defenders are usually like what one ninety to one ninety five, depending on. Yeah. So his height advantage is enormous. So, yeah. but I think a lot of that, and this is where Richmond fell away, is they were able. It's almost like Dad described it as. When you try and kick the ball to your mate in the playground so that he can jump over the top of the other bloke and take a huge <laughs> hanger on him, like that's how Collingwood deliver the ball to Cox. They yeah. kick it high enough that they know if he's running at it, he will get to it at a point where no one else can get to it. Yeah, but it's actually a real art form. So if you don't have pressure on the midfield, and this is like the same mm. in every game, like he will take marks. Yeah, um, and everyone sort of. I thought it was interesting that people sort of. Oh, Richmond's backline had a bit of a stinker. I was like, well. Richmond's midfield kind of had a stinker, and then from there the back line are really pushing yeah. the proverbial uphill. Yeah. Um, so I mm-hmm. think that'll be a really key part of the game. Yeah. Hopefully McGovern can lock him out. But also I think oh, the news out of West Coast today was McGovern's a bit sore. Mm. So and we know what Corkies can do to a man. <laughs> Don't we? Uh, he'll be all right. And sure you'll be fine too. They're fine. Everyone's fine. Uh, there's an injury cloud over Howe. Um, what are you most looking forward to this week? Other than I know you will be you will be at the game. What are you most? Is it just the general like floating on air? Yeah, I yeah. think the next few days are probably going to be the best part of it because I think towards the tail end of the week I'm just going to be a ball of nerves. Um, I'm looking forward <laughs> to like just watching highlights and watching previews and just having everyone in Melbourne talking about West Coast because they never talk about West Coast in Melbourne. So that's going to be exciting. Hopefully we can get some Herald Sun back covers. Um, we still didn't make the back cover today, so maybe tomorrow <laughs> we'll see a West Coast picture on the back cover of the Good paper. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, just the build-up and just being around Melbourne this time of year, it's just always fun. There's always stuff going on. Everyone's talking about footy, and it's nice to have your team be part of that conversation. Yeah. I do feel a bit smug 
been walking around um, my West Coast beanie on and putting my scarf on and just like enjoying people saying, go Eagles to me, mostly because they hate Collingwood, so that's nice. I did have someone um, mistake me as a Richmond supporter though this morning on my morning walk because I was wearing a very old school West Coast jacket that was a very deep navy blue with a yellow sort of sash on it, like old VFL style. (laughs) And from across the road, he thought I was a Tigers supporter and he yelled out, go Tigers! And I sort of thought that he was like, maybe getting stuck into me. Um, but uh, I realised that he thought I was a kindred spirit until he sort of clocked a bit later and then I could hear this like, oh, and he was a bit disappointed. He thought he'd made a friend. <laughs> well, so my barista on Sunday morning was wearing a, an Eagles jumper. I nearly oh. walked out and went to another cafe. Which cafe? Uh, the one just across the road, the Elizabeth Street Cafe. If anyone from the – they won't be listening to this podcast, but <laughs> it does – they do make a mean long black – um, I have to pop in. Well, they, also, they also now just know my order because it is 10, minute, 10 metres from the front door. So that's what you like. That's, that's pretty yeah, nice. But um, nice. guy at the gym were in Collingwood shorts this evening. That, mm. that made me throw up. Um, it's upsetting. It's I'm always a bit like conflicted about wearing colours once your team's out. So we've got footy colours day at work on Thursday. Ah. And then we've got almanac lunch on Friday. Footy almanac lunch, 12.30 at the Royal Melbourne. Is it sold yep. out? Uh, I think there's still some tickets left. Get them. And then Sporting Chance Grand Final Breakfast at 9 a.m. on Grand Final Day at the Yorkshire. Uh, Gordo and I will be there. Casey will probably be just bringing it, doing whatever Casey does. Um, But, yeah, so that's on as well. And that's uh, obviously Sporting Chance helps us put on this podcast. So support both of those events. Um, What am I looking forward to? Nothing. My life is over. Um, No, I'm, I'm actually just hoping that this needs to be a good game me if this is a if this is the equal of the first game that they played in week one of the finals i'll be happy yeah it won't be a dog style fairy tale i won't have the emotional just roller coaster of richmond being there so Mm -hmm. i just need you know what good footy and i'll be like yeah sweet come back next year do it all again um i wouldn't mind it being the exact same as our game against melbourne (laughs) would you though like just then you've got to wait like an hour and a half to actually be out of summer. That's true. That game went so long on the Saturday afternoon. I mean, like Friday night, Joffa put the gold jacket on with five minutes to go in the last quarter. I was like, man, he is. He could have gone. He could have gone like yeah. fifty-three points up, or whatever it was, in the second quarter. Like mm. I would have been. I would have chanced it. Like Yolo. I know Collingwood supporters are famous for the Collie wobbles. Yeah. But um, and like the the only thing I would say is there's for me there's no like great the Collingwood narrative is like persuasive because it's like thirteenth to first. Sorry, 13th to 3rd, it's Nathan Buckley. It's like, oh, it's a redemption story because they were crap last year. Mm-hmm. West Coast have just kind of been like consistently there or thereabouts and they won it in, what, 6? 2006. So that's 12 years ago, so it's not like it's a drought. Collingwood won it it's in 10. It's been a long time. So like, well, you know, like really? We can talk about a long time like, <laughs> if you want. Um, so like I don't think there's – I don't really know. From a neutral perspective, it's I'm, I'm leaning towards – Collingwood, but then you'll hit me. Mm-hmm. So um, mm-hmm. get up and stop recording and slam the door <laughs> in my face. And then, but then, like, there's you, but then there's also, I want Collingwood to win for Dave. So I'm just kind of hoping for a good game and the best team to win. But um, I'm sorry to break some, I've got some bad news. What? I'm, I'm tipping Collingwood. <gasps> um, I'm going to go Collingwood by two points, is my tip, with Mason Cox to win Normie. Really? Mason's the man. Mm, nah. I'm Shannon Hearn will win the Normie. That'll be a win for Widow's Peaks everywhere. <laughs> Captain's Normie. 
Um, I mean, obviously I'm tipping West Coast. This is why I don't do footy tipping because I will never tip against West Coast ever. Never have my whole life. Always lost footy tipping. Um, really hurts my heart that you're tipping Collingwood, Jack, to be honest. Um, I mean, I, I want West Coast to win for you, but I do – my heart says West Coast, but my head says Collingwood. Yeah, no. Um, no good. <laughs> I just – yeah, they're on a bit of a ride. Brody Grundy is love personified, and I think mm. they will they will get the chocolates. I really hope they don't. It, it's going to be a miserable last five minutes at the MCG. Just that calling oh. and Joffa whipping the gold jacket out. Then again, if it's a two-point win, you won't get to see the gold jacket because it'll be so close that no one will be doing it. Yeah, I don't want to see that gold jacket. I don't know if I can handle another thriller against Collingwood, though. Oh, my little heart's been through so much. <laughs> Has it? <laughs> Like you've lost what, like six games? It's been a so, tough it's year. so hard. <laughs> Beat Richmond by forty eight. Like that was a good day. Anyway. So the other thing that we did. Uh, while we were another one of our days out was the VFL and the VFLW Grand Final. VFLW Grand Final, not telecast. Big kick in the balls. Very disappointing. And just a huge missed opportunity, for especially Channel 7, to broadcast that game. I don't understand why it wasn't broadcast, but you've got the Grand Final, two of the code's biggest rivals in Geelong and Hawthorne. Why not put that on TV for everyone to see? Um, yeah, poor form Channel 7. And... This wasn't, it wasn't like it was long. There were 20 minute quarters with no time on. Correct. So, like, it was like I was surprised at how quickly it went. Yeah. Um, there was some really good footy. So, the Hawthorne team, for those of you who aren't up with the, the VFLW, had uh, Sarah Perkins and Phoebe McWilliams as the, the forward line, really, the two prong forward line. Mm-hmm. And um, McWilliams, ironically, is actually on the Geelong list for AFLW. So, yes. that was probably Very somewhat painful for them. <laughs> um, and they ended up getting the chocolates. They sort of, I guess they were comfortably better than Geelong all day. It was seven points late in the last quarter, but you sort of felt that Hawthorne had it managed. Yeah, I think they had the control of the game um, the whole day, really. I think Geelong, for me, watching them in this final series, um, were a team full of flair. And I think in the two games that they won to get into the grand final against NT Thunder and Collingwood was just really capitalising on their flair, just picking up loose balls, getting those quick goals. um, And they just were really exciting. But when they tried to play like that on the weekend, I think just the nerves got the better of them and they just missed some opportunities because they really could have won the game. Um, they had a lot of opportunities, um, a lot of uh, sort of a couple of times it was running into open goal, just going to bounce the ball, just going astray. That's just, yep. just nervousness and just not that composure that they're probably not used to. Um, so I think they had the chances. They could have definitely won, but Hawthorne's experience just really came out and really proved that they were the better side on the day. So I think it was a really exciting game to watch. And I think Geelong shouldn't be too hard on themselves. I think they played pretty well. But, yeah, Hawthorne were definitely the classier unit. And I was just so excited to see Meg Hutchings win a grand final after playing 16 years of football and not ever winning a grand final. So that was a good little fairy tale story for the women's yeah, game. Yeah, particularly after she was delisted by Collingwood yeah. and various other problems. And she's been a big part in the AFLW startup. So Absolutely. I think that was a very popular win, I think, for a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. Interesting that Hawthorne still don't have an AFLW license. Um, 
Mm. I don't know whether their performance in this competition um, is suggests that they should have one. I think that's a very different debate, but I know that the people are fairly pissed off that they don't. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I mean, who knows what's going on with the AFL and how they're issuing <laughs> licenses and how they're fixturing the competition and what AFLW looks like beyond 2019, so that's probably a whole other kettle of fish. <laughs> no one knows. Um, no one knows. I guess the other side, and this kind of flows into the VFL grand final as well, that this being played at Etihad was just awkward, I thought. It's, that's a really interesting point. Um, I've had this conversation a couple of times with a few different people because, like you're right, the atmosphere at Etihad is so cold and it just feels wrong playing a grand final like that under a roof sterile the environment's just not inviting at all the lighting's um, crap for the lighting photos, FYI. <laughs> it gets in your eyes um Ugh. but i don't know i think there's something nice about the messaging that you get to play a grand final on a an elite afl venue so i'm a bit I mean, it's built on a car park yeah i like i don't i kind of don't love the romance like to me there's no romance involved with any hat stadium no there's definitely not i would rather if i was a player I would, and I know I'm a little bit old, but like I would rather be playing it at like Punt Road or Princess Park or a ground with history. Yeah. Not the newly named Marvel Stadium. Oh, Marvel Stadium. Marvel, Had. If you could pick Marvel, Had, or Colonial, what would you go for? Mm. I liked Colonial. Colonial was what I had. Oh, Telstra Dome. Yeah. How many names has that place had? Four? It was Docklands. Docklands, Docklands yeah. is like. It should just be Docklands. At least it's just two syllables. It's easier to say. <laughs> Etihad Stadium. Colonial yeah. Stadium. Um, they're, they're all awful, but I mean, that's, <laughs> what, you, that's <laughs> what you get when you have to throw sponsorship into the mix. I think the best uh, stadiums across the world always just have their original names without any branding. Melbourne, but... We've got Melbourne Park and Melbourne Stadium now in the one complex. <laughs> it's very easy to get lost. Um yeah, so you think that it's fine? Uh, I don't think it's fine. Um, I, I think I like the message that it sends that you get to play a grand final on an elite in an elite facility, but I don't like that venue. So I'm really conflicted. Um, I love watching the finals down at Northport Oval. I think that's a really great oval. Mm. Um, surface is a bit crap, but yeah, surface is a great. Beautiful views of the city, though. It looks great in photos. It, it <laughs> um, does look great in photos. So that was. Um, it's always nice to go to those venues. I mean, I loved going to those um, venues during the AFLW season, like your Witten Ovals, your yeah. Punt Roads, um, or Punt Road more so in the VFLW season um, with Richmond yeah. playing. Um, and Princess Park is a good venue for me because I live right next door to it, so that's convenient. Um, <laughs> And, like, yeah, they do have that history and and that great atmosphere. But then also, like, I, I did really dislike that the AFLW Grand Final was played at Princess Park this year because I think that occasion demanded a better stadium, um, especially with the weather that came in. And I know you can't predict that stuff, but that stadium was just not adequate for what happened that day with the weather, just, you know, bathrooms leaking and just no seating really undercover for a lot of people. And then it just kept a lot of people away as well because of that. So um, I would have liked to see that game played at Etihad Stadium perhaps. But, yeah, I really don't know what the best solution is for that because I want something that has the grandeur of a grand final but then also isn't as boring as Etihad. We need a boutique 20,000-seat stadium that can host these things effectively. Yeah. Princess Park is, it's just, it's a disgrace. It's gross. Like it the toilets gross. in that place are disgusting. Yeah. It's like the first, and I've said this, I don't know how, I'm probably saying this for the 18th time, like it's borderline unsafe for 
at capacity, that ground. You can't move. Yeah. Underneath it, there's no walkway room. It's like, it's just not like what if they were actually serious about the women's competition, they would have already tried to find a perfect 20,000 seat stadium. And they would, you know what? We're just going to do this up. Like go out, get the government funding, whatever. But like Princess Park would already have been redeveloped into a 20,000 yeah. seat boutique stadium where you don't have rickety old rusty gates and all the other crap that you have to deal with. And then it's like a no-brainer. VFL yeah. Grand Final, we host it there. Yep. Like um, VFLW games can be played there. Mm-hmm. AFLW Grand Final, guess what? There. Yeah. And they have the TAC Cup Grand Final there, so that's another event that could use some better facilities. Um, and even play really low-drawing Mel- Melbourne, like so really low-drawing games in Melbourne, play them at a stadium like that. Great absolutely. atmosphere. Like, so maybe you need to expand it so it's 25,000, 30,000. Yeah. So that when Carlton play Fremantle, yeah. you can play it at Prince. I mean, I just think it's, yeah, I think it's a no-brainer in the current sporting climate. I agree. Um, and on that note, the VFL Grand Final was won by Box Hill, who, as anyone who has sort of followed this will know, were uh, within a second of being knocked out in the elimination final mm. against Port Melbourne when they kicked a goal with the last kick of the game. The ball hadn't crossed the line before the siren, but it had left the boot, so it therefore counted. Um that was just remarkable. That was so um, exciting. And so they've gone on and they trailed Casey most of the day. And Casey had like some pretty handy players. So they had Jaden Hunt, they had Tom Bug, um, they had Bernie Vince running around in his last game. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the good story, the Meg Hutchins of the the AFL, or sorry, the VFL men's season was probably Brandon White, yeah. Whitecross, who yes. missed all of Hawthorne's premierships and managed to get a premiership finally. Yeah, it was um, good to see him get that and get up on the stage with his kids afterwards, get his medal. Yeah. Very cute, very cute, and very happy for him. For all the one-sidedness of the AFL finals at times, VFL finals have actually been cracking. You had Richmond mm. lose to Essendon, who finished eighth in a like elimination final that was a pretty pretty nail-biting game. And just right through, they really delivered on all cylinders. Yeah. Um, at, mostly at standards. The, the Richmond-Williamstown qualifying final at Punt Road was – was great under mm-hmm. lights. Um, and I think it was good that it started in bye weekend. It actually gave people something to do. Definitely. Um, that was the best thing about bye weekend was having a chance to actually catch up on what's going on in the VFL. Maybe the only good thing. <laughs> I'm not bitter. <laughs> I am bitter. So as we are watching the Brownlow coverage and Bont is talking about a, what is that, an antique 1954 Premier's Cup. Oh, that's quite important. Um, <laughs> is the Brownlow the best and most most uh, effective measure of player performance? Do we actually get the most worthy winner every year on Brownlow night? What a, what a question. Um, no. <laughs> no? Okay. Um, Elaborate. I just think putting this sort of award in the hands of umpires who are out there um, umpiring the game, like I'm sure they've got a sense of who's playing well, but that's not their primary focus. Um, but then also I don't know what the alternative is, like if you get some sort of panel each year to select that award. Um, but I also just think in just the wording of the award, like best and fairest is complicated as well because I think what we see more often than not is just the players who get the most of the ball. Um, so it's always going to be a midfielder's award. Mm. So where does the term fairest come into that as well? Mm. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's 
the best way that we could do it, but then I also don't have an alternative um, as a solution to offer. Well, I think it's just going to stay as it is for the sake of tradition. I think I think will. it is interesting that since the MVP was brought in, and the MVP sort of functions as a player's player, so the players yeah. all have a 3-2-1, and that's done across the whole season, not game by game. We've only had the same winner 12 times in 35 years. Um, ironically, the last three have all been have been 5-5, Danger, Danger, Martin, Martin, and it may well be Mitchell, Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could be interesting that we actually start to get very similar winners. But I think the most effective measure is always the coaches' votes, where the coaches both do coaches, a 5-4-3-2-1. Yeah. Um, and then you see like someone in the Richmond Hawthorne game, for example, like Dylan Grimes, I think got a 5 and a 4 yeah. for a total of 9, mm-hmm. despite the fact that he played as a defender. I think they're in the best position to analyse the impact of individual players on the game. Um, the player of the finals, which is the Gary Ayres medal, is done on the coaches' votes. Yeah. Um, a little bit hard, though, in the finals because, obviously, with, like, for example, Collingwood have played four finals, Richmond have played two, West Coast have played three. So, statistically, Collingwood players are more likely but, uh, to win it yeah. than anyone else um, because, obviously, they've... And what it, it does tend to lend that you get a winner of player of the finals tends to come from a finals... Sorry, from a team that wins it or makes at least makes the grand final. Yeah. Which I don't think is a huge issue. Mm. It's kind of hard to argue that you should be player of the finals if you don't have a team that makes it the whole way. Yeah. Um, a bit like the Norm Smith. Yeah, the Norm Smith is one that bothers me. Cause that's, it's mostly media, yeah. I believe so. Select the Norm Smith. And it's also done before the end of the game. Yeah. So I find that really – I'm never like quite that. comfortable with that because what if someone kicks a goal mm. with a minute left that decides the game? Yeah. How can you argue that that person isn't enhanced mm-hmm. on a performance level? And I also thought, like last year, like I'm still not a Dusty should have won Normie Basher. I'm a Basher Hooli should have yeah. won Norm Smith. I was sort of similar in 2016 with JJ. I was a bit tomboyed with Dale Morris. Yeah, I mean, I ne- I feel like it's also very subjective. It's so subjective. Like you could ask a, a multitude of different people and, yeah, get, of course. and get different answers. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm a devout Bashahooli fan, so <laughs> I'm biased. But, but yeah, I mean, the Brownlow, like, I don't necessarily think it's the purest. I don't think it'll ever change. I think that the fairest cause, as you mentioned, is it's always going to be problematic. I mean, we've got a lot of ineligible players. And it used to be, and this is where when this was, and this is the debate I have every year about ineligible winners. You can't win it if you're ineligible, so you are an ineligible leader. Just to clarify that one before <laughs> I lose the plot. Um <laughs> That is a drinking rule. Every time someone talks about an ineligible winner, oh, that's a good one. You you yep. just neck everything that exists yep. and throw a dictionary at someone. <laughs> like throw a dictionary at Hamish McLaughlin. It used to be that you didn't get suspended for Mickey Mouse stuff. So mm. my argument should be like: Should it be that you have to get a certain? Should you have to get two weeks suspension? Like you get a week, you're cool. That's okay. If you have mm. say you have two one weeks, then you miss because like you can essentially miss out because of a bump. I don't think that's being unfair. I think the other option is just to say, fuck it, let's just make it best player. Well, that's why I think. I don't think... Andrew Gass still wouldn't win it. (laughs) Why not? I don't understand. Um, Have you noticed he's missed, what, eight weeks? He's lucky you guys have actually played finals because otherwise he'd be away for, what, half of... Oh, he'd be missing games at North Melbourne. Oh, that's brutal. I think he still misses games at North Melbourne. Or does he use the grand final the last game? No, he'll have more. All right, so whoever gets in. Might might um, help you. West keep Coast him. will be without him for a few weeks next year. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> um, go on. You were talking about um, the Ferris course. Yeah. So you said that you should take maybe Ferris out of it because I think that's 
that's the word that I have the most issues with this award. If you changing it to being ineligible, say after two weeks, then you definitely have to take Ferris out of it because I don't think if you've been, I don't if you've been fined or if you've been out for a week, like you can't say that you were the fairest player. But then I think you just need to define what fair actually means in football because I think that's such a a loaded word for um for sport the term fair because you look at how fair the fixture is it's not fair you look at how fair like equalization is amongst clubs it's not fair like nothing's really fair in sport so how do you have like a fair like the fairest player I don't know it doesn't sit well with me but then I also just don't like the idea of just having the best player because then then you just have an like an MVP style like American style award like I do like that we have best and fairest, but it just it complicates yeah. everything. And I'm kind of it's also so I have sort of said that it doesn't sit well that you could be suspended for a bump. But then the amount of times we actually get someone who isn't eligible mm. as the leading vote getter, it's happened twice. Yeah, that's it's true. it's so rare, and every year it gets hyped up. Like every year it gets talked about. It, yeah. it doesn't happen, and I don't think we look like I don't really think we lose a lot by just leaving it and just saying you know what let's just have it as our little tradition. All right, and on that note, we are probably going to wrap the pot up because we're just talking Brownlow bollocks. Hit us up during the week if you've got any questions about the grand final. We've got Sporting Chance grand final breakfast Saturday morning, 9 a.m. at the Yorkshire Hotel. Great sponsors of the magazine. Get along. Uh, tickets are online. Event is on Facebook. Um, hit us up. Uh, should be a little bit of entertainment on the morning. Uh, best of luck to you, Casey, this week. I'm looking forward to seeing your nervous capitulation <laughs> as the week goes on. We should also be dropping a couple of other pods during the week, so keep your eyes and ears out for that. And uh, I can't really say go Tigers. Go Eagles! Always know what's best. Always tell you what you should have done. Monday's experts. Always know what's cooking, how the game was lost and how it could have been won. Comes around, everyone's an expert in my town. Monday's experts. And speaking of Monday experts, Jack and Casey thought it'd be a really good idea to pass on some fashion tips from what they saw during the red carpet of the Brownlow Middle telecast. And these are some of the highlights for you from about three hours and 30 minutes of banterous content. Enjoy, and we'll see you at the breakfast on Saturday. I'm really, I'm really sorry to jump in there, but Nathan Jones is on the TV and he's. Um, I can't think of a name because it hasn't popped up but his partner is doing an ad for GHD which is for those of you who don't know her name is Jerry they've been doing an ad for GHD which is a hair straightening brand which to have Nathan Jones on an ad for a hair straightening brand just seems like an enormous kick in the nuts Good. Jerry Jones looks amazing that side split there very classic very elegant I'm really not sure about the white jacket to be honest I'm a little bit he looks a little bit like something out of The Godfather yeah I'm not a fan of white either, and it doesn't pair well with Jerry's dress either. He should have just gone all black. He looks good standing next to Nadia Bartel, though, who's in all white. Maybe is, they should have paired together. Yeah, well, <laughs> enough said. <laughs> so we've now got, what, Nat Fife interviewing Nathan Buckley. Is Fife in the velvet? Is that velvet? It's gross, though. It's black on charcoal with a black tie. I was just about to say, we've gone like black Bucks. on black on black. This is a bit of a point of difference. Bucks looks plastic. He looks like a man that's just masterminded a preliminary final win against the, the hot favourites. He looks like a man who's really tired and doesn't have a game plan left in him to go into next weekend. Oh so. my god, JJ, what are you wearing? <laughs> oh, sorry. You're not a fan sorry. of the checks? No, that is an abomination. That's, worse than, his, that's worse than his haircut. 
that poor girl. Logan Shine. I think, oh. I think they both look great. I, I think she looks great. I think he looks like <laughs> he's at a confused 90s disco. You know what, though? Like, good on them for bringing some excitement to the Brownlow red carpet. Just bringing incite- excitement and then there's looking like a total peanut. The only thing I would say is the tail on that dress. It's like, not a train. It's oh. not a tail when you're choo, talking choo. about a dress. Like, I'm not really sure. Like, I know that... Like, I just feel like that's going to get... Like, what, what is she going to change for the after party? She has to, doesn't she? You can't Most dance... change. Oh, you can't go on the, the dance floor with that. The queen is here. Rebecca Judd. Ah, oh, look at her. Look at that woman. Deviated somewhat from serious analysis. Um, this is serious analysis. Chaton Couture every year do an amazing job in this woman. Look at her in that lilac number. I think Juddie's great. He doesn't fuck around. Nice and simple. Black suit. Black tie. Let Beck do the work. Just is about to say, because he knows this is not about him. Tonight's all about Beck. This is her moment to shine. She put so much work in in this industry. And she's a great spokesperson for all the brands that she's an ambassador for. Like... She's working tonight, and she is working that red carpet fine. I really like her hair, too. She's got this sort of, like, elbow. I really like Juddie's hair. Juddie's hair is that on point, as always. It's shiny, though. (laughs) He's polished his head. I'm actually going to go... I have... Like, I am going to raise a shave. When? Like, really soon. And then... Well, I just... I don't know. I've done it once. It's nice. I just... I need to see photos before I'm going to allow this. I mean, I didn't have the beard last time. So I don't know how... People do like touching your head. It's very strange. Is that why you want to do it? No. Is that what you're encouraging? No, people do that when you go for number three, but like like head polish. I don't know. I might have to invest. Yeah. Just picture that. And I'll have to sunscreen. I'll probably do it before it gets super. Yeah. Wear lots of hats. Um, It looks good now. Just leave it like it is. It's a bit tennis ball. I need to shave. I need to go for another. I'm glad I didn't get an invite to the brown though because I'm not, not groomed appropriately. <laughs> I tell you what, I'm pretty hard on anyone that's tried to change the, the record art. Like anyone that's tried to jazz it up. Yeah, and um, for someone who said previously that the brown loaf for men was really boring and you don't get an opportunity to do every, anything um, exciting, for everyone who's tried to do something exciting, you've just slammed them. I reckon we should change the dress code. Make it cocktail. Like... Well, basically, just make it like no, no, wear. not even business loungewear. Like it's a suit. You have to wear a tie. It's suit and tie, but you mm. don't have to wear a black suit, and you don't have to wear a black tie. So you then have all the. It becomes like the races. Yeah. So you can have a variety of different combinations. You could good. jazz it up so that you can actually not have to look like a peanut wearing a white jacket. Yeah. You can just sort of do what you want. There's so much more opportunities for fashion. Then again, having worn black tie. Black tie is like simple. Brody Grundy doesn't wear it. I'm into Brody Grundy's glasses. I don't know. I'm not sure you, know, you could have just taken the glasses out. <laughs> you won't be into him on the weekend. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. I know. I'll tell you what is ridiculous about Brown. The fact that there is now footage on my television screen <laughs> that a barbershop has clearly paid Channel 7 for of all the Melbourne players getting a haircut. Yeah. Like, are you serious? They've gone in and sent cameras to film them getting a haircut. Like, spare me. I do oh. not need to see Christian Petrarca getting no. his haircut. Or I think it was Melcham getting shaved? Yeah. Like, this is why this night is so painful to watch now. I used to love watching the Brownlow, like, as a kid and, like, counting along and keeping a tally. Um, it goes on for way too long now for this reason, for all of this sponsored content. 
just try so hard.